Today on the show, we're talking about can money buy happiness? Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney and joining me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about if money can even buy happiness. Now Trevor, this is something that we hear about all the time, this concept of money buying happiness. What's your thoughts on it? Well, I, I think it's a, a misleading uh, expression. It, it, money can buy things that can lead to happiness, but money itself is not going to create happiness. I like that. And I think that's such a good point. Trevor, before we launch into today's article, I do want to check in with our listeners and see how Frugality February is going for them. So first, but let's check with you. How is, how is Frugal Feb going for you? Yeah, I'm pretty dialed in at the moment. I've abandoned all thoughts of buying coffee on my way to work or my way to anywhere. So I'm, I'm pretty solid on the track too. And do you think Frugal Feb and the, the idea of not buying coffee on your way to work, is that something that you're going to stick with throughout the upcoming months? Well, what I've demonstrated myself is that I really don't need it. And I think that's what we're trying to accomplish with this, with this challenge is, is to show people that if you can go 30 days, you can actually break bad habits and bad spending habits. So once you get through 30 days and you, you reflect back and say, gee, I didn't buy a coffee for 30 days, what else can I accomplish with 30-day with ta- challenges? Oh, that for sure. That's, that's a great point. So for all you listeners out there, if you haven't submitted your picture to us, you still have until the end of February. Just make sure to include the hashtag FrugalFeb, tag us in it, and at the end of the month, we will draw one lucky listener who we will send the book giveaway to. So today's article is called Five Ways Money Can Buy Happiness, Backed by Science. This article is featured in Time.com in the business section, and it is by Martha C. White. In Martha C. White's words, the old saying that money can't buy happiness, not true, it turns out. But you have to spend strategically if you expect the money to put a smile on your face. Buy moments, not stuff. According to Dan Gilbert, Harvard University psychology professor and author of Stumbling on Happiness, the key is to spend your money on experiences rather than material things. Material things, even if they're expensive or you wanted them badly, tend to lose their luster after a while, and literally and figuratively. Memories of people, places, and activities, however, never get old. In a survey, Gilbert found that 57% of respondents reported greater happiness from an experiment, experimental purchase. Only 34% said the same about a material purchase. Number two is spend on others. In a study published this year, Harvard University researchers conduct experiments and found that spending money on others, called pro-social, spending in academic jargon, boosts people's emotional and psychological well-being. The benefits of pro-social spending extend not only to subjective well-being, but objective health, they write. Despite people's intuitions and inclinations to the contrary, one of the best ways to get the biggest payoff personally from a windfall of $20 is to spend it pro-socially. Number three is buy small splurges. Dropping a ton of cash on something extravagant doesn't give you the same bang for your buck because no matter how special it is is at first, you get used to it, having it around, and it becomes just another object. 
Giving yourself inexpensive indulgences is a clever way to gather lots of bursts of happiness, a recent Business Insider article suggests, citing Gilbert's research. Number four is buy what you like. No keeping up the Joneses. That's not going to make you happy. There's a lot of reasons someone might buy something, but if the reason is that you to maximize happiness, the best thing for that person is to do is purchase a life experience that is in line with their own personality. Ryan Howell, an associate psychology professor at San Francisco State University, tells Forbes. Howell recently co-authored a study finding that when people spend money just to project or uphold a certain image, it doesn't bring happiness. And the last is spend with others. You might think spending on things or activities you do by yourself will make you happy, but a recent study in psychological science says that tactic can backfire. To be extraordinary is to be different than other people, and social interaction is grounded in similarities, says Gus Cooney, Harvard University research assistant and lead author of the study. Doing things with friends or family, even if it's not as exciting, makes you happy because it fosters a sense of togetherness and connection between you and other people. The guy who had the extraordinary experience had a harder time fitting in, Clooney tells The Atlantic. So Trevor, that was Five Ways Money Can Buy Happiness, backed by science from Martha C. White from Time.com. So what were your overall perceptions of this based on what you initially led this episode with? Yeah, I think happiness is a, there's a, it's a whole genre on books on happiness and, and the study of happiness in general. And if you do any research on, on just achieving happiness, the, the, the concept of it, uh, it is so far removed from money. It's mind-blowing to, to really st- study the, the, the science of happiness and how it relates to money. But this article is entitled Ways That Money Can Buy Happiness. So do you believe that money and happiness aren't tied together at all? Or do you believe with the fundamental principles of this article? Well, I think money, money is a tool that you can use to achieve a level of happiness but I don't think money itself is going to deliver happiness. That's a great point. Delving to point number one, buy moments, not stuff. I know you're an advocate of this. Can you explain to our listeners why this is so satisfying and rewarding for you? Well, I'm an advocate of this because I, for many, many years, I pursued the opposite. I, I thought if I bought things, uh, objects, uh, possessions, that they would give me uh, long... Uh, uh, I would get happiness from them from a longer period of time because I physically had them. Whereas if you, if you buy an experience, once the experience is over, the happiness is gone. Well, as it turns out, the opposite is true. When you buy an experience, what you get from that experience is memories. And those memories last an extremely long period of time. I mean, they start to fade over time. But when you buy an, when you buy an experience, your, your happiness memories stay with you a lot longer. Whereas if you buy an object like a new computer... As soon as a computer gets integrated in your day-to-day life, its newness wears off and it just becomes another object in your, like, in your everyday affairs. So, whereas that memory is always there, it, no matter where you, whereas the object, if it does bring you extended happiness, it's only when you actually have that object in front of you, whereas the memory is with you all the time. I want to ask two break-off questions of what you just said. The first one being... I know some of our listeners out there might be thinking, oh, but I can't justify going on this experience or having this experience. I know this is something I even feel. And 
some of our listeners may be able to justify buying something that they need or want as opposed to maybe spoil themselves to a vacation. Yeah, that's an easy trap to fall into. I can see where uh, an experience seems like a, a luxury or, or, or something you can't, it, it, very, it becomes very challenging to justify a vacation as opposed to a, a new piece of clothing, which serves a purpose. It keeps you warm. It, obviously, you need clothes to go out in public. So it, 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 the, you're e- you easily convince yourself that the object is going to add more value, more practical value to your life than the experience. But if you deny yourself experiences for an extended period of time, you, I think you can't lose sight of the, the mental thing. The, the, the experience helps your mental health far more than people give it credit for. I think we do need to underscore, though, that if an individual is experiencing, purchasing experience, they can't also purchase that material possession as well. There has to be a fine line where you know what you can afford and you don't cross over and try to do both. Oh, absolutely. And it, the, the, I think that's where people fall into the trap of justifying the material possessions because it, just just say somebody had to go into debt to get the material possession, they can justify things to themselves, oh, I'll be using it over a period of time. But when you try to do both, I mean, the, the math has to work. You have to be able to afford both. I do want to go deeper into what you just said, Trevor, I could, because I like it in that how many times has a person that, that you're aware of gone on a trip and paid for it with a credit card? Meanwhile, how often does someone buy something with a credit card? I mean, they're, they're synonymous, but one is more accepted than the other. Yeah. It, it, people look at things they buy and they, they'll put, I'll put, I'm doing air quotes. They call them assets. You know, I'm, I can justify buying this credit because it's an asset. Um, some I've heard people refer to clothing as, as an asset, as, as an investment, whereas a vacation is never an investment. It, it's 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 a it's a luxury, so it it's easy to to fall into that trap. I mean, I've I've done it myself. On the topic of experiences, though, Trevor, is there one experience that is maybe more justified than other experiences, such as going on a vacation to an all all inclusive resort, or going on a vacation to to seeing landmarks and museums and more of a destination like that. Well, I think this is personal preference, but for me, uh, going to an all-inclusive resort, I might do a lot of the same things I would do in my local town. Like I mean, I may lie on a beach, although it's winter, I can't do that this time of year. But in terms of lasting memories, I think the all-inclusive resort um, is is not going to be a lasting memory as much as going to see a live theater or a concert or something that, you know, you, you can't see in your own backyard. I think that's a great point, Trevor, because I think some of our listeners might be surprised about what they can experience in quote unquote, their own backyard. Yeah. A lot of times people just, you know, you think grass is green on the other side and you have to go a great distance to, to enjoy it. Like for instance, where I live, there's a I live in Ontario, and there's a place called Wasega Beach. People probably heard of it. It's on Georgian Bay, which is part of the Great Lakes. And it's, it's beach sand for miles and miles, as far as you can see. And, and, and you know, any long weekend, you literally, you, you can't get parked. I happen to live in a small town on Lake Ontario, which has a beautiful beach. And I know, I know I'll, I'll talk to people that I work with, and I say, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're going to Wasega Beach. And I'll stop and think, you know, that we have a beautiful beach right here, but you know, it's just going somewhere different, but I, I guess it's personal preference. Yeah, that's a great point. You kind of, 
I think it comes back to the idea that whatever you're surrounded by kind of lose its shininess. Yeah, similar, I guess, to to a um, an object or a, a, a material possession. It your your surroundings just don't seem as uh, as enticing because you see them every day. They're part of your everyday life. Before we move on to the second point, I do have another final point to bring up for by moments, not stuff. In that. I've been, if, if any of our listeners listen to the Minimalist podcast, which is amazing and we highly re- recommend it, but they, they talk a lot about when you go on these experiences, you feel the need to acquire collectibles or, or memorabilia or something that will make you remember that experience. And they talk about how they discourage that. Yeah, they say the memories are not in the things, the memories are in the experiences. And that that is so true. You know, in holding on to a um, a souvenir from a, a vac- uh, international vacation is not going to help you trigger those memories any more than, than just, you know, closing your eyes and thinking about the the trip yourself. So I, I, I'm a, I've bought, I mean, we've all bought souvenirs that, and, and spent probably really good money on these souvenirs. And I really don't, f- if I, if any souvenirs I have, I don't look at them and say, oh, I remember that trip. You know, they, it never triggers the memory like I, I thought it would. And even like the minimalists vouch for, they say take lots of pictures and store them on your digital devices. And that's a great way to hold on to memories. But at the same time, I think because we are a technology society, we are so obsessed with taking pictures, Instagramming them, Snapchatting our moments, and we're not even present. So I think at the same moment, you're going to remember that experience regardless of how many pictures you take of it. Well, you know, when, I, when I'm on a vacation or something and I'm taking pictures, as we move into this uh, social media era, I, I quite often take pictures and I take pictures for, you know, I want to tell my, my mother about my vacation or my children about this vacation. And so I'll take pictures and the picture I take, I'll take in mind of who I'm taking that picture for. It's not for me. It's, it's for somebody uh, I'm going to tell about this vacation. Like I'm going to say, you got to go here because of this, you know, and I'll take a picture of that. So I've really changed how I f- take photography when I am on a vacation. That's a great point. It's, it's almost taking pictures with more meaning and more thought instead of just snapping away. I do want to move on to the point number two, spend on others. I think this is so powerful because I don't know about you, Trevor, but I get such a sense of satisfaction when I am able to buy something meaningful for someone else, whether it's their birthday or just because. Yeah, it's it's been, uh, you know, Christmas is a great time. People say the... the um, you're better to give than receive. I mean, that's a, a long-held expression, but it, it it is so true. When you when you spend money on, on somebody, be it a charitable spending or just a gift, uh, there's a feeling inside you. You you nobody can deny that that you get that feeling when when you buy that perfect gift for that somebody and they really enjoy it. So I, I I'm a big believer in this. I mean, obviously you can take this too far and and um, uh, donate yourself. to in, into poverty you, you don't want to go there and I think the whole idea of spend on others I mean I know this article is about ways money can buy happiness but the idea of spend on others can translate into time spend time with others and that's also satisfying as well well there's an expression out there called the the best present is presence and that that's sort of a play on words but it sometimes the best present you can give somebody I'll, uh, a lot, a lot of times, it'll be some elderly person. Is these people have everything? You know, they they are they're they're retired or they're, you know, they they've gone through life, they've experienced everything. 
and all they want is somebody's company. So a lot of times your presence is the best present. I absolutely love that. That's great. Moving on to point number three, buy small splurges. I, I think this resonates. What do you think, Trevor? Yeah, well, I, we've said this before. One of the things is if, if you go to for dinner, if you go out to a restaurant, you know, four or five nights a week, it's no longer special. It, it's not a it's not a special experience. But if you go out just for special occasions, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversaries, birthdays, then when you go out, it seems like a real special occasion. So I think to do something in in infrequently actually makes it more special. That's a phenomenal point. And I also think this extends to when you purchase anything, as in, in I, it, this could be framed negatively if we do look at it in this example I'm about to provide where you go clothes shopping and you buy a new shirt that is less than a more expensive shirt. At the end of the day, you're coming home with a new shirt that you like. So I, I don't like this example because I am applying it to the idea that buying material possessions brings happiness, which I, we here at Simple Money Solutions don't believe in that. But it's the same idea that you bring something home and I think regardless of the price tag, you're still going to receive the exact same emotion. Or another way of looking, I agree with that 100%. But another way to look at this, and it, it sounds counterproductive, but if if you do need to buy um, a whole wardrobe of clothes for uh, a particular occasion or a new job or whatever, don't go out and buy the the jacket, the shirt, and the pants and the shoes all at once. You know, ex- you know, drag that experience out. You know, go out and and just buy the shirt, and then the very next weekend, I mean, if you really enjoy shopping, that is, go out and buy the pants. You know, and, and, and spread that that shopping experience out over a period of time. On that note, I find it I find it crazy that we're all told buy things make you happy, or you're, you're you convince yourself that no buying this will make me happy. I will treasure it forever. But time and time again, it's this feeling always wears away. Yeah, no, I I bought a a new MacBook um, for this podcast actually. And when I got it, I mean, it was the most prized possession. I, 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 every time I, I was fishing using it, I'd put it back in its case. And um, I, I just cherished the, you know, and I didn't want anything to happen to it. I would put it in a safe place. Now I leave it sitting on the, on the couch or all sorts of things. So it, it's just become integrated into my life. And it just, um, its newness left remarkably quickly. Trevor, do you have any suggestions for our listeners who may be stuck in this trap where they're convinced that they need to buy something to make them feel better or to celebrate? Is, is there anything they can do instead? Well, I think it's kind of like our frugality February challenge. You really need to break that cycle. You need to break the the habit. You know, shopping can be a habit. So you really need to uh, go through the withdrawal symptoms of, of not shopping and, and just, you know, Cut yourself off from retail altogether, online, in stores. Go for walks, go for hikes, find something else to fill that time void. And once you, you go 30 days, you know, or, or a couple of months, then you just, that, that desire start, starts to fade. And on the topic of shopping, though, I feel like we can rationalize food and shopping the same way in that you can justify it. I mean, you need food in your body, so you deserve that ice cream cone. You need to wear a shirt so you can justify that that shirt. So 
other things that aren't necessities, we're like, okay, we don't need that right now. Like, we're fine. But these necessity items, I feel like it's harder to say no to. Well, if you, it, it helps not to expose yourself to, to uh, advertising or, for instance, I'll give you an example. We have a, a super Walmart in, in the town I live in, and those stores are grocery stores, and they offer groceries and all the other things Walmart provi- offers. And if you go in that store, it's easy to get drawn into buying something you didn't go there for intending to buy. Where we also have a no frills in this town and all they sell is food. And if I go there, the temptation's not in front of me. I'm just going there to buy food and that's all I'm going to get. And if, for instance, if you need something at a drugstore, again, Walmart has a, a pharmacy section. But if you go to just a drugstore, well, you know what? That's all they really sell. So if you, if you put yourself in in a position to be tempted, chances are you're going to, you're going to fall victim. Great example, because we all know that we all, every day, each individual only has so much willpower they are able to expend. And after they've reached that limit, then they're more easily open to temptations and in, in giving into those. So that's a great example and, and really picking and choosing your stores wisely and not, and not submitting yourself to that unnecessarily. So moving on to number four, buy what you like. This concept really reminds me of our toxic relationship episode we recorded a while ago. Yeah, you know, the the keeping up with the Joneses or comparing yourself, you know, you see somebody driving a new car and you think, well, I need a new car. Or you see somebody who um, maybe buys a, an ATV and all of a sudden, well, that looks pretty interesting too. One of the things that really helps in, in buy what you like is to stay focused. And in, in f- if you have hobbies, you know, all sorts of hobbies, if you're into high-end recreational vehicles and you're into uh, deep-sea diving or, or, I don't know, extravagant hobbies, that gets very expensive. You need to be very focused in your interests. And and as this says, compared to the Joneses, don't compare what you have to other people or, or your broadness of interest to other people. For me, if if I just stay focused on what I find interesting and what I find engaging, and I I don't look at what other people are doing, uh, you can you can save a lot of money with that mindset. And on the topic of that, I mean, as a as a young adult going out to a to a bar on a Friday night, that is something that that everyone is doing and that you think you should be doing too. But we all know that when you go to a bar, you can spend an absorbent amount of money in just one night. So I think this is a societal pressure to on you in that this is what society says I should be doing. This is what I should want to do. And you kind of convince yourself that what you want is what everyone else wants. Well, there's nothing wrong with what you described going out with friends to a bar but you need to make that a special occasion, not an every weekend occurrence. And if you do, when you do go out, it's going to be a very memorable occasion. It's not going to be every weekend. I mean, it's going out and, and, and buying drinks is a very expensive proposition. I, I totally agree with that. I'm more coming from the angle, though, of even just engaging in anything that you're only engaging in because society tells you you should and you that's what you perceive society's telling you to do kind of like you know staying home on a friday night is really not you know it almost seems like a waste is that is that sort of where you're going with that oh that's exactly where i'm going yeah yeah well i mean time is a great equalizer people that do go out every single night to a bar 
uh, chances are they're going to run out of money. I mean, uh, over time, they, they, or they're not going to achieve the same financial goals someone who didn't uh, go out to those bars is going to achieve. So, again, if you compare yourself to other people, they might not have the same financial goals and aspirations that you do. So it, it kind of makes that challenging. Trevor, because you maybe have your finances more established at the age that you're at, do you find it easier really saying no to others or really just doing exactly what you want to spend your money on? Well, it's, you know, there's this fear of missing out. This is a new uh, FOMO, it's called. It's the acronym for fear of missing out. That that exists at every age group. Uh, but what I, it's a trade-off between... You're, you're, you're referring to maybe peer pressure versus the fear of missing out. And both of those, well, one is, they're both tied to happiness, I guess, in a way, and they both cost money. But uh, as you get older, peer pressure, it, it, it fades. And, well, you, you tend to be more defined in who you are the older you get. Whereas if you're younger, you're still trying to figure out who you are. And, and as a result, peer pressure is greater. But, I mean, older people will remodel a perfectly working kitchen just because it looks dated. Now, I mean, they could convince themselves they're doing that because it's an investment in their property. They could do that because uh, just they, they like a new kitchen. Or they could be doing it because they're embarrassed of the old-looking kitchen. So peer pressure exists at all age groups. But I think it's far greater at a younger age group when, when you're still unsure of yourself. And my next question is, do the people around you realize exactly how financially free you are? And my follow-up question in link to that one is, do people respect your decisions more when you say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I can't afford that because of the great financial situation you're in. Well, you know, funny you say that. So where I work, um, the, it is just a, the parking lot where I work is just a sea of high-end trucks, pickup trucks. I'm talking high-end trucks. And... I drive a 11-year-old car, and I have no idea. I'm sure, I mean, I'm not saying everyone I work with is very judgmental, but I'm sure they look at and, and wonder whether I'm all I can afford is this 11-year-old car or I'm driving this by choice. I, I, I'm not sure, but I can always say I, I don't care what they think, but I, I got to think people are wondering, you know, because I'm talking every car my, where I work that is high-end and you know just a couple of years old I, I have run away the oldest car by a mile where I work I like the phrase that you said I don't care and, and I think that is so important and it's it's certainly not that I can't afford a new car it's just I, I just think cars are a horrible place to put your money it's it's they depreciate at such a rapid pace that I I, I view a car as a mode of transportation other people, they, 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 it's far higher on their level of importance than, than it is to me. Definitely. And going back to the I don't care concept, at what age do you adopt that? Because I feel like at a younger age, the age I'm at, it's harder to say I don't care or no or because of the fear of judgment or, or something like that. So at what age did you stick to that and say, I don't care. These are my financial priorities. This is what's important to me. And this is where I'm putting my focus. Well, when I, when I decided I'm not going to work till I'm 65 and I'm going to retire early. And with that mindset, there's nothing getting in the way of that goal of mine. 
So, so at that point, when, when I decided that retiring at 55, nothing is going to get in the way of that goal, that's when I stopped caring about a whole lot of things. But when my kids were younger, for instance, I cared for my, my kids. I didn't, I didn't want my, uh, because I'm aware of peer pressure on, on, on younger, uh, on children, I didn't want to expose my children to, to have to deal with peer pressure. So I cared, you know, how they fit in. And, and, and so I would buy them things that I think they maybe really didn't need, but I knew socially that, that this was important to them. So I, I probably stopped caring when my kids became more independent. That's 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 a great. I I like that. I think that's something any parent listening right now could could take and appreciate as well. Trevor, moving on to the very last element of this article, spend with others. In my opinion, just just when I was reading it, it kind of negatively relates to keeping up with the Joneses in, in a sense, but but also I do understand the undertones of spending with family and friends, but how do you how do you walk that fine line of not just keeping up with the Joneses? Well, I've told this story before. So spending with others and keeping up with the Joneses, they do kind of go hand in hand. And so we had this couple, this is way back in our younger years. Me and my wife would go out with this couple. We'd go for dinner and a show or something. And every time we went out for dinner, so me and my wife were vegetarians. And when we go to a restaurant, and we don't, we're not drinkers. So we'd go to a restaurant, we'd order soft drinks, and a vegetarian meal. And the couple we went with, every time we went, they would order a uh, very expensive wine and uh, a very elaborate steak dinner. Generally, the, just an observation, it was usually the highest priced thing on the menu. And then when the waiter came and said, you know, when they were taking an order, um, is this on one bill? They would quickly, you know, pipe up and say, yeah, we'll split the bill. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, this is not going to work out for me. <laughs> and so finally, at one point, we just said, as soon as they took an order, I said, you know what, separate bills. And it was awkward. I mean, there was this incredible long silence after they took our, our order. And it was, it probably was only three minutes, but it seemed like 30. And uh, finally, you know, with the conversation, it moved on. And then the next time we went out, it was really easy to say, you know, separate bills. And there was no awkward silence. So once we broke that through that barrier, uh, it, it, it was it was okay. So that was sort of keeping up with the Joneses and spending with others. So it was fun going out for dinner and, and, and spending money and going out for dinner with a group of people. But it was troublesome in that I was, you know, subsidizing their meal. I hate to sound cheap or whatever, but I mean, time after time after time, it started to wear me down. So that that's a sort of a, a short story on on those two topics. I think it's important to undertone, though, if, okay, pretend pretend I was going to go out and eat anyway. I might ask my friend, do you want to come eat with me as well so I don't have to eat alone? I think that enhances the experience. So if, if both me and my friend independently were going to go out and eat, why not eat together? But I think, I think maybe you walk over the line in the wrong direction if someone's like, oh, do you want to come eat? And you're like, um, I, I guess. So I think that is an important distinction. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, another uh, a story on uh, spending with others where uh, it's a positive one is I remember we, we took our, our, our kids down to uh, Disney and we went with uh, um, uh, my wife's sister and her husband and their kids. And we went down there for a week and 
because it was they were my kids were with their cousins it was a very memorable vacation and they both both families talk about it every time we get together as one of the greatest vacations we ever had then we uh, another march break we went down to myrtle beach and we just went with our family and it was fun it was okay but i mean it it doesn't uh, resonate as a, as a very memorable vacation it was just sort of a, a getaway so by doing that with other people it really enhanced the experience. That's a great example. And it even underscores, I mean, you're with your whole family, but it underscores how doing something with other people who are going to do that anyway makes it that much more memorable and enjoyable. Well, in, when you're with other people, you kind of get uh, different perspectives and different experiences, whereas you, you might just have the blinders on and just focus on the pool. You know, I, I just say you're at a resort. And they are more focused on, I, I don't know, some other aspect of the resort that you never thought of uh, trying, and then you tried it and you really enjoyed it. So you get that variety too when you're with other people. Oh, exactly, exactly. Trevor, there is a large focus on Dan Gilbert's book, Stumbling on Happiness. Is this a book that you've read or that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that. So um, we have a sponsor on our show, it's Audible which is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. And I don't know if anybody has ever listened to an audiobook. It's basically any book you, well, not any book, but most books you can buy and read. You can also buy a narrated version of it. Uh, there's a book I've listened to. It's called Stumbling on Happiness by Dan Gilbert. And it's a, it's a fabulous book. It really is an uh, eye-opener on what, what happiness is about. And so I, I highly recommend this book, Stumbling on Happiness by Dan Gilbert. Uh, his book was re referenced in the article we, we did this week. And if you want this book, Audible is sponsoring this podcast. So if you there will be a link in our show notes. It will be audibletrial.com slash simple. But the, there will be a link in the show notes. You click on that. And by doing that, you'll get, you get a 30-day free trial of Audible. So basically, it gets you one audio book that you can listen to. And if you decide Audible is not for you, you can um, cancel your membership before they charge you. So um, it, I've, it's a great service. I've been a member for quite a few years. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I read a lot of, a lot of books as well. One of the things Audible does is it, I mentioned it's an Amazon company. And so if you have a Kindle e-reader and you buy a Kindle book, you can usually get the audiobook at a reduced price. And when you have both of those books, because your Audible account is the same as your Amazon account, and there's a thing called WhisperSync. And I'm just going to describe. So just say you wake up in the morning, you start reading a book, your, your, your Kindle book, and you get to the middle of chapter four. And now you have to go to work. Well, you put your Kindle down, you pick up your phone, you have that same audio book on your phone, and it starts playing right from where you stopped reading. And so you listen to that audio book on your way to work, and just say at lunchtime, you're going to, uh, you know, read, continue reading that book on your phone with the Kindle app. Well, you open the Kindle app and it, it syncs up to where you stop listening and you start reading there. So it, it the whisper sync, it, I've tried it and it works it flawless. So it, it's a great way to get through a lot of reading in, in a really efficient manner. Trevor, and before we leave this episode, do you have any final Simple Money Solution takeaways for our listeners? Well, you know, uh, there's another book I'm reading right now, and uh, I'm going to read you a little quote out of this, and it's an interesting spin on happiness, and it really makes you think. So, quote, the desire for more positive experience 
is in itself a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is in itself a positive experience. So if you really think you understand happiness, I'm going to say think again. And Trevor, what book is that, uh, that, that quote from? Well, you know, this book, I don't know if I, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to recommend this book. I'm not completely through it. And I'm going to tell you why. So the book I'm going to, it's, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. So the book is just, it's got profanity in it like I've never seen in a book. So if you can get past that, the message in this book is really about uh, living a, a happier life. So it really pertains to the topic of this show. If you can get past the profanity, there is a, it is a fabulous book. The message in here is makes, makes you rethink life in general. But, uh, so the book might not be for everybody. It's by, but it's by Mark Mason. And it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep. And I'm not saying the word because we want to keep this clean. Uh, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. And I, I've, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe 250 pages. And I, I've read it inside a week. I'm just about done. I'll be done tonight. And uh, I'm really enjoying the book. It, there's, a, it, there's a lot of humor in it, so I, th- th- that's an upside too. But again, you have to get past the profanity in it, which I, I don't have a problem with. I can, I can read past that. If this is a book you do want to check out, we'll have this, the link to this book as well as Dan Gilbert's Stumbling on Happiness in our show notes so you can go back and check those out. And we'll also, again, have our Audible download link in there as well for your 30-day free trial. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And please be sure again to check out the show notes at livelifesimple.ca. Remember to keep sending us your frugal February pick with the hashtag frugalfeb, where you're giving up coffee for the month of February. Trevor and I are going through it with you, so you're not alone. And until next week, keep it simple.